Due to the graphic nature of this mystery, listener discretion is advised. This episode contains descriptions of suicidal ideation and a suicide attempt that some people may find triggering. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In 2014, celebrity ghost hunter Zach Bagans entered his new house in Gary, Indiana. The modest dwelling seemed comfortable enough, if a bit drafty, but Bagans couldn't shake the feeling that he was walking into a trap. His documentary crew followed him into the building, setting up cameras and other surveillance equipment. Bagans hadn't bought this house as a home. He was there to investigate it. He'd become interested in the dwelling after learning that over 200 specters allegedly tormented the Ammons family inside it only two years earlier. According to the Ammons account, they'd heard terrifying noises, saw ghostly apparitions, and even suffered demonic possession. For Bagans and his crew, it sounded like a paranormal gold mine. But when people in town learned of this mission, they likely regarded the filmmakers with suspicion and dread. They thought Bagan's crew was playing with fire. They were probably worried that once disturbed, the ghosts might attach themselves to outsiders. That Bagan's team of ghost hunters might unleash something they couldn't control. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. This is our final episode on the Ammons haunting case. From fall 2011 to spring 2012, Evil spirits allegedly tormented the Ammons family in Gary, Indiana. They tried all manner of things to rid themselves of their unwelcome visitors, even going so far as having a priest perform an exorcism. But it wasn't until the family moved into a new house that the demonic activity plaguing them finally ceased. Last episode, we discussed the disturbing events that forced the Ammons to flee their home and seek help. We covered claims that the Ammons' children spoke in distorted voices, levitated, and in one case, walked up the wall of a hospital room backwards. This time, we'll try to determine whether there's a rational explanation for these nightmarish occurrences. We'll figure out whether the Ammons were fame-seeking opportunists, victims of carbon monoxide poisoning, or if they were indeed plagued by a demonic haunting. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. In November 2011, the Ammons family moved to their new home in Gary, Indiana. The clan had five members, including the mother, Latoya Ammons, and grandmother, Rosa Campbell. To protect the identities of Latoya's three children, we'll call her seven-year-old son, Sean, her nine-year-old son, Josh, and her 12-year-old daughter, Erica. Over six terrifying months, Latoya, Rosa, Sean, Josh, and Erica experienced one of the most dramatic hauntings of the 21st century. Some nights, the family would hear the basement stairs creak as if someone was slowly climbing them. On other occasions, the Ammons saw objects fly through the air. For example, a can of Febreze that launched itself across the room when nobody was near it. The house's peculiarities didn't only affect inanimate objects. Latoya and her children occasionally acted out as though they were possessed. In one of the more terrifying incidents, 12-year-old Erica levitated over her bed while unconscious. Seeking answers, the family requested the aid of police officers and the Reverend Michael Maginot. Many of these professionals also reported witnessing unexplained events. A Department of Child Services worker claimed that nine-year-old Josh walked backwards up a wall while speaking in a deep, inhuman voice. While investigating the house, the police's radio equipment suddenly malfunctioned, and Father Maginot had found a mysterious, oily substance dripping from the house's blinds. All of these terrifying events raise one disturbing question. Was the Ammons' home really haunted? Though there are many different perspectives in this case, the entirety of the Ammons' story comes from eyewitness accounts. We're going to primarily focus on the recollections of adults, since imagination often influences children's memories, causing them to be less reliable. Even without the corroboration of their children, Latoya Ammons and Rosa Campbell reported more than enough chilling first-hand experiences. The most frightening and least explicable episode they spoke of was the night they witnessed 12-year-old Erica Ammons levitating. On March 10, 2012, the Ammons family was hosting a wake for a deceased family friend. All was quiet until 2 a.m. when they heard screaming coming from Erica's bedroom. Latoya and Rosa rushed inside where they found Erica unconscious and floating in the air. A number of other guests at the wake, whom the Ammons never named, also supposedly witnessed this. Erica herself had no memory of the event. A skeptic might reason that in a bid to fool their guests, the Ammons might have made Erica appear airborne by using hidden strings to suspend her above her bed. But considering the room's size and the alleged number of witnesses, this claim sounds implausible. Since Erica's room wasn't exceptionally large and there were several guests packed inside, it would have been impossible to conceal such trickery. Another thing that leads credence to Latoya and Rosa's claims 
is the fact that their accounts matched exactly. If the two women had fabricated the story wholesale, then surely there would be more discrepancies between their respective tales. However, ghost hunter Zach Bagans wasn't willing to just take their word for it. After all, there were multiple witnesses to the strange goings-on at the Ammons' home. So, Bagans and his documentary crew decided to talk to anyone willing to share their side of the story. To that end, Bagans and his crew tracked down Valerie Washington, the DCS caseworker assigned to the Ammons family. Valerie told them the same thing that she put in her original report. She saw Josh walk backwards up a wall, something no child should be able to do. Bagans pressed her about whether there was any other way Josh could have pulled off this trick, and Valerie shook her head. It had been two years since she witnessed the incident, but her opinion hadn't changed. She insisted that the way Josh moved was unnatural. It had been so terrifying that she'd fled the room. Valerie wasn't a superstitious person either. As a caseworker at DCS, she frequently dealt with abuse, suicide, and death. She was used to facing the horrors of humanity without demonic assistance. Therefore, it was telling that she believed something supernatural was at play in the Ammons case. She wasn't the only eyewitness outside of the family to corroborate the Ammons' claims. Father Michael Maginot, the priest who conducted three exorcisms on Latoya Ammons, asserted that he saw evidence of demonic interference in the house. He reported unexplainable gusts of wind, an oily substance dripping down the blinds, and even claimed that he witnessed Latoya having violent fits when near a crucifix. Seeing these somewhat tamer manifestations of malevolent spirits firsthand meant the priest was more likely to believe Latoya's scarier stories. He accepted her tales of demonic possession, levitating children, and even the flying bottle of Febreze. And though it took multiple attempts, Father Maginot eventually persuaded Bishop Dale Melzick to sanction an exorcism, a permission that was very rarely granted. Gary, Indiana police captain Charles Austin also became a believer after he investigated the home. As Austin took pictures around the house, he noticed strange shapes in the photos that hadn't appeared to his naked eye. In another spooky occurrence, his squad car radio malfunctioned on his drive away from the home. Then later that day, the seat in Austin's personal car readjusted itself into a precarious position. If he hadn't noticed it was off, the police captain believed he certainly would have gotten into a fatal accident. It seemed the demons didn't want there to be any witnesses. Up next, we determine whether there could be a scientific explanation for the creepy occurrences that plagued the Ammons family. Hi, listeners. I'm so excited to introduce you to the newest Spotify original from Parcast called Blind Dating. Hosted by YouTuber Tara Michelle, Blind Dating is a fun twist on a classic setup. Strangers are introduced, conversation commences, and sparks either fly or fizzle. But here's the catch. 
our hopeful singles have to choose their match before ever seeing their face. And once they've picked their potential date, we turn the cameras on, and it's either butterflies or goodbyes. Blind Dating airs weekly with new episodes every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the story. When demons attacked the Ammons in the spring of 2012, the family immediately sought help. Several experienced professionals, including Father Michael Maginot, DCS caseworker Valerie Washington, and police captain Charles Austin became likewise convinced that something evil was haunting the home. Two years later, in 2014, ghost hunter Zach Bagans investigated the Ammon story. While filming a documentary in their house, he and his team suspected they also came into contact with the demons. Before his investigation even started, Bagans had a vivid dream of a goat-like monster. The image of the terrifying creature remained, plaguing him even while awake. Still, Bagans did his best to ignore it so that he could concentrate on the task at hand. However, upon arriving in the Ammon's old house, Bagans and his crew began experiencing strange phenomena. They found themselves constantly irritable. As a result, Bagans got into uncharacteristic fights with his team that quickly spiraled out of control. On one occasion, Bagans swore at one of his employees before suddenly lunging at the man and pinning him against a wall. But nothing got as frightening as the crew's experience with their camera operator, Adam. According to the documentary, after spending a significant amount of time in the house, Adam began to act strangely. After the team departed the home to stay in their hotel, Adam's behavior just became more erratic and aggressive. He strode up and down the hotel's hallways, shouting and cursing. He started screaming and hurling threats at an empty elevator. When the crew were finally able to bring Adam back into the room, he told them that he had seen a tall, goat-like demon staring at him from the open elevator. Zach Bagans caught his breath. The creature Adam described was exactly the same as the one from his dream. But according to Zach, he had never revealed his nightmare to anyone. However, the most frightening thing the team encountered was the lasting effect of the house. It seemed to harm anyone who came into contact with it. While staying in Gary, Bagans interviewed a woman named Mika who said she had lived in the Ammons' house in the 90s. She brought her teenage children to the house on her visit. Mika told Bagans that during her time in the house, she avoided the basement. Her brother had lived there before being tragically shot and killed. After his death, spending time down there made her uncomfortable. Mika didn't express any suspicion that the demons had a hand in her brother's demise, but after their disturbing experiences, the documentary suggested that his murder could have been stimulated by the house's evil. Then, just two days after Mika's interview with Bagans, her daughter attempted suicide. Both her family and the filmmakers wondered if this traumatic event could have been tied to the demons inside their old house. 
This theory seemed to be confirmed when, in a later interview, the daughter told Bagans that she'd felt a sudden, unexplained rage before hurting herself. Distressed by this event, Bagans spoke to Father Maginot about the nature of the haunting. He specifically asked the priest whether the evil spirits could leave the house. It was at this point that Father Maginot told a story that hadn't made it into the newspapers. On the day before Latoya's second exorcism, the reverend was riding his bike around the neighborhood. As he pedaled the familiar route, he suddenly felt the hairs on the back of his neck prick up. Nervous, the priest looked around. He noticed with alarm that all the other pedestrians were staring at him with ominous looks in their eyes. Freaked out, Father Maginot suddenly lost control of the bike, swerved off the road, and crashed. Fortunately, the priest was unharmed. However, on examining his bike, he noticed that its seat was twisted sideways. Father Maginot didn't believe such significant damage could have resulted from a simple crash. Instead, it seemed as though the demons were determined to hurt him, just to thwart any attempts to save the Ammons family. Stories like Father Maginot's lent credibility to the haunting case, causing it to spread like wildfire. Even seasoned cops steered clear of the house, aware that there was a lengthy official police report with evidence of supernatural interference. And by the time Bagans arrived in 2014, the consensus was still that the house was cursed. However, if we look a bit closer at the evidence, it's possible these events, though eerie and disquieting, might not have been supernatural at all. Instead, there may have been a real-life cause for many of the things the Ammons experienced. Let's go point by point to explore this reasoning. First, we need to take every claim from the documentary Demon House with a grain of salt, since Bagans and his crew are entertainers, not journalists. Therefore, we'll focus on their interviews with witnesses rather than their own alleged experiences. The creaking and loud noises the Ammons family heard are the easiest instances of demonic activity to explain. Their home was in a dilapidated neighborhood in Gary, Indiana. The old wood of the house was prone to groaning. Leaks were also common, which might account for the oily substance on the blinds. In addition, both the Department of Child Services report and the real estate inspector from Bagan's documentary indicated that the building may have had significant carbon monoxide levels. Perhaps the demonic possession they experienced was actually a symptom of carbon monoxide poisoning. If the family had been inhaling significant amounts of the gas, they might have experienced headaches, dizziness, nausea, vomiting, blurred vision, or fatigue. This could account for the gradual change in personality that almost every member of the family experienced. And if their sight had been affected, then that might also explain some of the strange visions the family claimed they had. Some toxicologists have suspected that carbon monoxide poisoning is the real culprit behind many haunted houses. In addition, other household chemicals and pollutants can have similar effects. In one case, Carrie Poppy believed that she lived in a haunted house 
but ultimately discovered that the gas was actually to blame. Her story was picked up by NPR's TED Radio Hour in 2017. She recounted that every day on entering her house, she would hear inexplicable sounds, experience terrible mood swings, and be overwhelmed by a feeling of dread. All of these are symptoms that the Ammons family also experienced. However, Poppy didn't get an exorcism. Instead, she called the gas company. They found a nearly lethal amount of carbon monoxide in her house. They told her that if she hadn't reported it, it would have killed her. If the Ammons house was producing toxic chemicals, it would render every member of the family an unreliable narrator in this story. It could also explain why the other DCS caseworker, Samantha Illick, suddenly became nauseous upon entering the premises. Also, a gas leak might clarify why a group of family friends believed they saw 12-year-old Erica levitating over her bed, though that would be a pretty extreme hallucination. Of course, if carbon monoxide poisoning was what was behind the Ammons' visions, then it would also make sense why they stopped experiencing hauntings altogether when they moved to Indianapolis. However, we don't conclusively know whether carbon monoxide was a factor in the case. More importantly, carbon monoxide doesn't explain the demonic activity that occurred outside of the house. Things like police captain Charles Austin's seat being adjusted and Father Maginot's bike crash couldn't have been caused by a gas leak. However, we might have a far simpler explanation. Confirmation bias. In the most straightforward terms, confirmation bias is our tendency to see other people, events, and bits of information in ways that confirm our own beliefs. From interviews, we know that Latoya and Rosa, and obviously Reverend Maginot, were Christians. Police Captain Charles Austin stated that he already believed in ghosts before he worked the case. All these witnesses believed in the supernatural. As a result of her spiritual beliefs, Latoya was more likely to equate the strange occurrences in her house with evil spirits. The same could be said of Captain Austin's malfunctioning equipment and Father Maginot's bike crash. It's not extraordinary for a radio with fresh batteries to suddenly die, or for a man to accidentally fall off his bike. The only difference is that both these people had religious beliefs and a relationship to the Ammons house. Therefore, they felt compelled to blame supernatural forces instead of random errors. The best example of this is in the Demon House documentary. A couple of days after Bagans interviewed Captain Austin at the home, the police officer slipped on some ice and injured himself. Soon after, a robber shot and wounded him in a home invasion. A man slipping on ice in an Indiana winter shouldn't be a reason to indict the devil. And robberies happen all the time with no demonic presence involved. But the documentary claimed that these disparate occurrences were even more proof of the house working its evil. Bagans had similarly malevolent interpretations of the misfortunes that plagued Mika. Mika, the former resident of the Ammons house, had a life filled with tragedy. Her brother was shot and killed, and her daughter attempted suicide. The idea that a building possessed by demons caused these events 
might have been much more appealing than the simple truth, which is that sometimes bad things happen for no discernible reason. In Father Maginot's report, he mentions that Latoya had vivid nightmares about someone, presumably one of her exes, violently abusing her. Perhaps that recurring dream was related to a trauma in her past that was weighing heavily upon Latoya's mind. To deal with it, it's possible that her brain began making patterns, confirming to itself that her home was haunted. But instead of seeking answers in the supernatural, Latoya might have been better served by looking more critically at her town. Gary, Indiana has one of the highest crime rates in America. In 1994, the Chicago Tribune referred to the town as the murder capital of the U.S. While things have improved since then, crime still remains high. This means that while Mika's brother and Captain Austin both becoming victims of violence was tragic, it was far from abnormal for this area. Out of respect for Mika's family, we won't speculate about why her daughter turned to self-harm. Suicidal ideation can have many causes. Placing the blame on the demon house might be a strangely comforting explanation, but it could be overly simplistic. However, while confirmation bias might explain several parts of the Ammons haunting case, there are still a lot of unanswered questions. The most compelling evidence for the haunting comes from Valerie Washington and other unnamed hospital staff mentioned in Valerie's DCS report. They all say that they saw things that seemed unnatural. We know that none of these people were affected by toxic gases, and many of them were self-professed skeptics. So it would take more than confirmation bias to convince all of them that demons really possessed the Ammons family. That leaves only two possibilities. Either the house was truly haunted, or the Ammons family pulled off a colossal hoax. Up next, we'll look at the possibility that the Ammons witnesses were duped. And now, back to the story. Much of the Ammons haunting case can be broken down into a series of coincidental events glued together by superstition. But some elements of the story can't be explained so easily. One event specifically doesn't seem to have a rational explanation. Namely, nine-year-old Josh walking backwards up the wall of a hospital room and across the ceiling. While paranormal enthusiasts fully believe Josh's gravity-defying walk was proof of demonic possession, skeptics point to an alternate explanation. They claim that Rosa, Josh's grandmother, who was holding his hand at the time, helped him perform this acrobatic feat. The trick would have worked like this. Josh would lift himself by bracing against his grandmother's arms. Then Rosa would guide him across the ceiling and back onto the floor. The entire time, Josh would never be fully airborne, but he would look like it. While this would be difficult, skeptics claim that such a stunt isn't impossible. The more implausible explanation would be demonic possession. If Josh's grandmother had indeed supported his ceiling walk, 
That would be indicative of some sort of family-wide hoax pulled off to trick all the helpful people the Ammons came into contact with. If LaToya and Rosa did make up the possession story and convince the children to play along, then they would have only had to corroborate their stories. After all, most of the supernatural incidents the family reported weren't witnessed by anyone outside of the immediate household. As for the events witnessed by the hospital staff and other professionals, it wouldn't have taken much acting for the two boys to convincingly speak in deep voices or fight each other. Lastly, if the hospital flip that Sean pulled off was indeed an acrobatic trick, he and his grandmother would have had ample time to perfect it before they went to the emergency room. However, while this scenario is plausible, it leaves one big question. Why would the family fake it? In any confidence scheme, the perpetrators need to have a motive, something they stand to gain. But in the Ammons case, it's not entirely clear what they would have achieved by convincing authorities that their home was haunted. Perhaps the Ammons had become desperate. They were living in a very old house with little money. Maybe they hoped that a ghost story could work to their financial advantage. In America, when a house is supposedly haunted, the price of the dwelling often drops considerably. The Ammons were renting their home. Perhaps they faked the haunting to force the owners to lower their monthly rent. Or maybe LaToya planned to sell the rights to her spine-chilling story to a newspaper, allowing her to profit from the publicity. We know that the Ammons family was very willing to share their account with the Indianapolis Star. The paper even released confidential documents, including Valerie Washington's DCS report and Father Maginot's petition to the bishop. The only condition it seems the family had was that the children's name be redacted. This all seems to suggest that the family was open to publicity, perhaps even seeking fame. However, this hypothesis falls apart when you consider their reaction to the documentary crew. When Zach Bagans and his team arrived to interview the Ammons for their film, LaToya and Rosa refused to participate. However, their reticence doesn't completely absolve them of opportunistic intent. Maybe they jealously refused to talk to Bagans because he sought to profit from their story without giving them a cut. Bagans seemed to confirm this theory. In the documentary, he criticized the Ammons, speculating that the family refused to speak to him because of a separate movie deal they were making. Furthermore, Bagans suggested that the Hollywood studio that had made the deal with the family actually threatened his own company with legal action. Though there's no concrete proof of a studio intimidating Bagans, the claims of Hollywood involvement turn out to be true. In April 2014, The Hollywood Reporter revealed that Relativity Media purchased the film rights to the Ammons haunting story with Academy Award nominee Lee Daniels later attached to direct. We don't know how much Relativity Media paid LaToya and Rosa for their family's story, nor do we know the financial situation of the Ammons family. But it's not too far-fetched to imagine that they would have appreciated a profit. 
This would explain why the family avoided talking to Bagans. On the other hand, the reluctance might have also been due to Bagans' intrusive approach. After deciding to make a film about the Ammons, Bagans and his crew didn't seem to reach out to the family first. Instead, they tracked them down, surprising the family at their new home. The fact that the filmmakers were invasive enough to dig up their address and ambush them could have rubbed the Ammons family the wrong way. In addition, the Ammons might have suspected that Bagans would take their story and sensationalize it to make himself money. In which case, he immediately proved them right. Not only did Bagans capitalize on the Ammons story, he even went as far as demolishing the house when he was done with his documentary. Bagans claimed that he did so to prevent the evil entities from harming anyone else. However, it's likely he destroyed the house to stop any other ghost specialists from profiting off it. In any case, if the Ammons' end goal had been publicity and financial success, their gambit seems to have worked. However, there is one massive flaw in the hoax theory. Would the family really have fabricated the entire tale given that it led to their temporary separation? In April of 2012, at the height of the Ammons' supernatural troubles, the Department of Child Services took custody of Sean, Josh, and Erica. Since their home life was in disarray, and all of them constantly talked about the ghosts, the state forced the separation, much to the distress of all three children, their mother and grandmother. If the haunting indeed had been a ruse, then the family had definitely bitten off more than they could chew. The Department of Child Services separated Rosa and LaToya from the children for six months. During that time, LaToya searched for a new job, found a new home, and had three major exorcisms. It seems doubtful that any mother, no matter how desperate for attention and financial aid, would voluntarily leave her children for so long. However, even if LaToya was a particularly unethical mother, willing to abandon her children for fame and fortune, the hoax theory still doesn't seem to hold up, mainly because the kids probably wouldn't have been able to keep up the ruse. If Josh, Sean, and Erica had been in on the scheme, the unimaginable stress of losing their mother would have likely caused them to give up the game. These weren't experienced fraudsters, they were children, ripped away from their parent for the first time. The fact that none of them redacted their story is weighty evidence that the haunting could have been real. Ultimately, it's impossible to say whether or not the family knowingly perpetuated a hoax. For all we know, the Ammons were the victims of demonic possession. Or maybe they did suffer carbon monoxide poisoning. If this was the case, it would mean that what the hospital workers, DCS personnel, and Father Maginot witnessed was not a demonic possession. Rather, they were privy to a family in crisis who were caught in the middle of something they didn't understand, but deeply feared. With a dash of imagination, fear can turn a shadow into a ghost, the creak of a staircase into an invisible foe, it can make a headache seem like divine punishment. And despite the implausibility, 
fear can even make a run-of-the-mill house appear to be possessed by 200 demons. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on the Ammons haunting case, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Indianapolis Star's article, The Exorcisms of Latoya Ammons by Marissa Kwiatkowski, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unexplained Mysteries, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Matt Teamstra, with writing assistance by Allie Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. And Parcasters, be sure to follow the newest Spotify original from Parcast, Blind Dating. It's a fun twist on a classic setup where hopeful singles choose their match based on personality, not looks. That is, until the very end. Search Blind Dating and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.